So here's the question. When the rules we've been operating by have burnt us out and the hamster wheel is keeping us awake at night and stuck, how do we, as expert entrepreneurs who want to make significant impact but just can't take on one more thing, grow our businesses and teams, double our revenue while working less? That's the question. This is The Business Habitat. I'm Sam Dean, your host, and this show explores the answers. Stay tuned and enjoy some brave conversations. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. Today, I have a bit of a different style of interview on. Today, we're talking to Mike Liu from a platform called Freefuse. Now, the exciting thing about Freefuse is it is a interactive streaming platform and it's been already used in universities to help break down learning so students can create a learning adventure of their own. And it's based on Mike's childhood story of using, you know, build your own adventure books and stuff, you know, way back when in the 80s that were you could build your own adventures and and also you know using legos why I, i find this so interesting and i think that we need to think about this sort of technology in our business habitats is to really get help our staff create and our clients create adventures of themselves and we wrangle with that a little bit later on in the episode we talk about how experts can use that and actually use this kind of technology to really engage the client in the journey that they would go on in some of our expert services. So it's very much a really worthwhile conversation. Some of it is a bit um, challenging from a technical point of view, but I know that you're all up for, for the adventure of it. I'm particularly excited because we are starting to use um, FreeFuse on our online education programs. I've been struggling to date with finding something that did do just this, take you on an adventure. You know, when you work with people, you can see their different blocks and and everyone has different styles of learning. And also, you know, when you're working through a bit of a change and how you approach things in business, sometimes, you know, the blocks are very different for different people. This technology allows us to create learning that then you can actually hit your own various blocks and then actually tag the content that you need so you can go back and and relearn or you can go back and add up and then stuff that isn't working for us we can take out so there's a constant update and um, nuances going that is both coming from us as the teachers but you guys also as the learners so we're learning just as much from you as as you for us which I very much feel is part of the collaboration so anyhow stay tuned and enjoy the conversation with Mike Lou. Hello everyone, welcome back. As I said, we have Mike Lou here today all the way from LA in the United States. So it's good evening and back quite late for you because it's about um, one o'clock here in Aussie time. So welcome, Mike. Well, thank you so much for having me. And uh, I always believe that it, no matter what time it is, if I'm able to have a fantastic conversation, then it's never too late. So. Uh, that is not true for me. I literally cannot have a conversation after 8.30 or 9 o'clock, and which is a problem because I have quite a lot of um, European and African clients, so that, that does become so problematic. But I love the Americans because I can do them really early and I'm much better in the mornings. 
Anyhow, welcome, Mike. What I would like to do is um, get you to give us a little bit of background and your story and how you come to be here, and then talk to us about your business, um, which is Free Foods at the moment, but would love to get that real exploration and your mind around the technology and everything, where it's going. Certainly. And I think that in the context of this story from where the company started, I think it's actually pragmatic to start from what I did as a kid. And one of those things that I did as a kid was actually collect a lot of choose your own adventure books and actually collect Lego sets. Now that's really significant um, because when I was a child, I was so compelled by the ability to kind of personalize your own story or really have something that was very engaging, but in the form of a book. And it was always really cumbersome because you'd have to flip pages back and forth. But I always thought that that format was rather fascinating because you had all of these different pathways. I had control over the story, over what was going on, you know, and I think that there's always going to be a place where passively watching something is good or passively consuming content is good. But I always just really found that having different parts of the story that I could kind of control to my whims was one of the more interesting parts of these books, even as a kid. Um, And in that same time, I was also really fond of building things up through Lego sets. And when I was looking at building things block by block, brick by brick, I would initially build whatever the set was, but I had so many sets that I started to just build little cities and little, you know, kind of, uh, yeah, right. Like I used to build, you know, all sorts of things like, you know, giant, you know, spaceships. And, you know, I used to build all sorts of uh, you know, different kind of uh, structures that I, you know, would have an imagination behind. And that kind of set the foundation for why I became so interested in becoming an engineer as a, a major in university. Um, I pursued it for a very long time. And I felt like it was one of the things that as I grew older and grew more adept, I would eventually allow it to be my jumping off point to being an entrepreneur, right? And that maybe should have been, yes. And that maybe should have been my first indication that you can't shoehorn everything that you're doing into into one one thing, right? Um, you know, there's a lot of wisdom in that that I found. But, you know, I had this, you know, strange idea in my head that, oh, yeah, I'm just going to go, I'm going to have this job for X amount of years, and then I'm going to go start a company, or maybe I'll make it up to the way of being a, the CEO of the company. And I'm sure that there is some pathways that I could have taken to, to becoming that. But as I became more aware of what was possible, you know, even through just uh, my, my time in engineering, I was exposed to so many ideas that I found that you could just start your own business anyway. And you could just, you know, really just build an idea, get people using it. And, you know, that was enough trust to have people say, okay, well, this is actually viable. And this is a a possibility as a product that people can love. And that always stuck with me. Um, I remember the first time I ever heard about, you know, products that people really, really loved, right? You know, Facebook, of course, was like the first tech product that I was ever exposed to, right? And it always stuck in my head to say, this brings, you know, obviously it brings people a lot of strife now, but like, you know, before it was bringing people a lot of joy, right? I remember in its first thing, it was really cool. Like it was like, oh, I can share all my photos with my family. Like, you know, when I was overseas and stuff like that, it, it, it was very good. 
but now it's like you know taking over the world but yeah exactly and you know at first it was very such a simple concept that brought a lot of people joy and that always stuck with me so as i became older and you know started to jump into engineering as a major i was still obsessed with you know building things from the ground up engineering was really good for me to do that but as i continued becoming better and better at engineering and building my skills up I found that the more that I went down that path and the more specialized I became, I got a master's degree, I went and got a doctorate degree, there was just this feeling of, am I making a direct impact in people's lives and building something that they love right now? Um, I can build, you know, these different tests and experiments and the scientific community will love what I'm doing. You know, and someone who will review my paper will say, yep, this goes in a journal and and that could be the legacy that I leave. And there's nothing particularly wrong with that in any way. But for me, I I always just really wanted to feel that joy that I was making something that people directly love. Um, so around 2018, I started to experiment with a few business ideas. You know, there was there were just small scale I wasn't really trying to maybe start the next big thing. It was just a little foray into what what am I capable of? What ideas do I have? And I felt like, you know, when you approach it from that way, where it's just their ideas and they're not really like, you know, something that you feel like a lot of joy from, then you don't really get yourself on the right particular path. So those first two ideas didn't go so well when I did that. But it was the third time, which kind of struck lightning, which was what we're working on today, yeah. where we we built the system, the FreeFuse, uh, you know, pretty much the FreeFuse interface. Um, I remember the first time when we got started, we didn't even have, uh, you know, what the, the tools that we had today. And uh, it was hilarious because I spent so much time just trying to convince the professors that I was working with, will you please use this? I just wanted to see if this is even going to work um, and just kind of like begging them to do so. And at first they were all skeptical, but uh, it was funny that at the end of it, they saw all the data, how much the students were using it and they were sold on it. So, you know, I guess there's a little bit of serendipity there, you know. Could you just tell us a little bit about FreeFuse in your own words? I have described it in the intro, but please do not rely on that. <laughs> sort of what, what it is and, and what's the problem that it's solving? Absolutely. And, you know, with what we're uh, accomplishing with FreeFuse, what we do is we create an interface where you're actually able to do interactive decision-based trainings and actually create different learning pathways for those who are your clients, your customers, your employees, your tribe, mm -hmm. whatever you would like to call them and whatever your audience is, we wanted to provide a versatile experience. And we really made it easy for a lot of people by introducing artificial intelligence to break up all of your video content into shorter segments that are labeled. Um, and so what's hilarious about the story I just told was we didn't even have that artificial intelligence component, but we were thinking about creating it. So we spent three months breaking up oh, by content hand. by hand Ooh. for three <laughs> for, so imagine an hour and a half of lectures every, or an hour and a half each lecture, two lectures to three lectures every week in two different classes. 
And imagine that every single week for a 16-week period, right? So I got to intimately know how painful this problem actually was with, uh, first of all, breaking up content and doing it yourself and creating short segments that are going to be useful for, you know, uh, audiences that are looking for short-form content. And so I felt that pain very, very acutely. So when we started thinking about developing the artificial intelligence for organizing the content and cutting it up and labeling it, I knew exactly what I needed to solve because I knew how, like, I knew exactly what yeah. the pain was. And that's the, the part that I think a lot of people don't explore. I think that's so interesting because, I mean, a lot of the stuff that we've developed from an education point of view is because of my pain points and where I, I struggle the most. And I think I was in a group of people last night and I were talking, I'm the, I'm the product for the product, you know, if that makes sense. And I think that that gives you such an insight to the market because you are the market <laughs> in a way. And, you know, it's so interesting to hear from a technology point of view. I mean, God, I hope you really enjoyed the courses that you were breaking down. <laughs> you must know a lot about them. What sort of courses were they? Were they engineering still? They were engineering still, and no, I, I really didn't enjoy the courses, but I enjoyed all the positive, what I enjoyed most was the positive feedback that we got. I enjoyed so much that the people utilizing the tool were like, this is so awesome, I really appreciate this. We got rave reviews from the students. A bunch of students wanted it in all of their classes because it made learning easier for them. Um, and I was like, okay, we're really onto something here. Um, and I'd, or I had always looked at it more as a tool that was, you know, more horizontally focused, but I felt like we could solve this problem here right now, then let's try, let's like, you know, see where we can take this and where this can go. And for me, when we had that first validation, we brought it to more classes. We got a lot of, you know, professors who said no, got a lot of professors who were interested and we brought it to many different schools. I was basically you know, utilizing warm leads, networking from one person to the next. Um, and, you know, just because with university professors, they're they're kind of notoriously hard to get a hold of, right? Unless you're like actually well, at the school itself. <laughs> <laughs> right, you know, and I, I completely understand that. I mean, uh, I've worked with professors quite often and I understand their pains. They're doing research, they're having to teach these classes. You know, they're going and doing these proposals, research papers, all of that. And I always sympathized, right? It was it was annoying sometimes to like, you know, hear and deal with some of the, you know, uh, the early stage rejections you get. Because, of course, when you're early stage, everything kind of like magnifies and hurts a little bit more, right? Um yeah. <laughs> right. So, you know, over time, I, I kind of got used to, okay, so this is kind of the objection that someone has. And here's actually how we're, you know, solving that. And it's not, you know, it's no longer a problem. So we, we were, we were really doing well in terms of getting a bunch of classes on, we had over 40 courses that were using it over, you know, 15 different schools. And I felt very proud of it. But, you know, of course, we, you know, we weren't obviously running it as a charity. So then came the whole point of trying to actually ask them to pay for the service. And that became an entire wasp's nest of an experience. You know, I would hear sometimes we need at least 14,000 students using it. 
you know, we're not sure if this is actually going to be viable long term, which I thought was hilarious. Um, clearly, a lot of the students really loved it. We showed them the feedback, showed them, you know, what uh, uh, what they were able to do, even in terms of like I had the grades from one semester to the next. Right. So like I could actually show them, well, they did improve and they didn't even care about that. So seriously, me, isn't that their job? I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they said that we would need to produce it over the course of like three or four semesters. And they, and they then would consider that this would be a viable tool. So I thought to myself, okay, clearly we're not, you know, clearly we need to figure out a better way to go about doing this. And I don't think going with education with all the red tape that is associated with it is the best way for us to go. So right around the uh, right around March, we started experimenting with businesses. Um, our sales lead, Marcus, had a lot of leads. He was ready to just start talking to companies. And so we instead went down that route. We, we had an 80-20 principle. I was doing 80% uh, schools, 20% businesses. He was doing 80% businesses, 20% schools, you know, kind of the Pareto yeah. principle about it, right? And we realized you know, businesses really actually enjoy this. There's oh, a yeah. lot of people saying that they're, 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 you know, they're, they're on board. They, they want to adopt it now, you know, and we had a, we had a crossroads, right? Do we, do we continue trying to onboard more, more courses and having to, you know, kind of bang our head against the wall, even though I had a personal motivation to try and really help these students or do we go with where this is naturally pulling us in and really just keep bringing this to more and more people who, who really see the value and, and love it, you know, just the same. Um, and so it, it, it was a, about a weekend of soul searching in, you know, kind of thinking about it that I said, you know what, I think that we have to bring it to businesses because they, a lot of them suffer from the same problems. So why not bring it to people who, will be appreciative of the services. And then on top of that, when we scale up and build ourselves up, it'll probably be that much easier to deal with schools down the road. Um, so we kind of worked with that philosophy. That was around the end of May or March, excuse me, that we, you know, made that decision. And ever since then, you know, every week we're like onboarding three or four or five new, you know, new people to utilizing the service. And, um, you know, con you know, converting them into, you know, happy people. And so that to me is the, the greatest joy that I have, which is, can I, can I bring somebody an experience that they're excited to tell other people about and that we can be proud of being a part of? Because at the end of the day, I could have the greatest tech in the world, but if it's not putting a smile on other people's faces and them saying, I absolutely love this, then I'm not doing it right. In my personal opinion. This episode is brought to you by The Aligned Leader, a six-week program built to combat the leadership fatigue syndrome so you can grow your business without the overwhelm. I think for me, you know, when I saw it, so, um, you know, as everyone knows, we do a lot of, um, well, we're trying to do a lot more education and, and to help people change. I've always struggled because our work isn't linear and we do so much implementation work and coaching work and we're working through various blocks and stuff. It was the first time that I really, as a person who doesn't naturally, hasn't had education training, if that makes sense, but we want to change everything through education. 
I, the linear way of it was really blocking me. And I'm going, you know, is it because I'm scared of my contents? I mean, I know my content's great and all of that sort of stuff. But most of the time when we, we're, we're either got a group or we're working in a businesses with teams and stuff, we're there. So we're undoing the blocks and everything as we go. And when you put it online, I think particularly in the expert industries, even though we don't do technical stuff, it loses its impact and its joy as you just described it. Because people do want to actually go on their own journey. Everyone learns differently. And it was the first time I, I just, it just, it was a, a light bulb moment for me to say, okay, you mean that, you know, we can do these short, sharp videos. First of all, as someone who's creating that, it's much easier because you're not going a 40 minute, or does that make sense there? Or does that make sense here? And also the, you know, obviously the IP that can take what we've already got, let it up because that's been really frustrating as well. Cause everyone says, oh, you've got to have these shorter videos and the joy of that as as well and you know as someone who and I know that you know a lot of people in the professional services industry we've been hit over the head by technology and technology providers who just basically come at our problems with um well no they don't come at our problems at all they don't actually ask what their problems are they think you should you you need this you need a CRM system or you need a better workflow system or you need this and that. And this is the next great thing from it. And you should adapt it. What I like about your slant on it is saying, I've seen a problem. I've listened to everybody. I, I have experienced a problem myself. And this is something that you could use in, in, in various and different ways. But the great news is you can use it the way you want to use it, as opposed to going, this is what you should do because I mean another thing you know Excel is obviously Excel I think is one of the greatest pieces of software ever invented because you can use it as simple as you want or you can get as complex as you want and you can you know do all that sort of stuff but since then I don't think there's been a lot of technologies come out that you can kind of use at your pace if that makes sense and then most people only use like courses most people only use four to five percent of any capacity of any any technology do you agree with that? Are you seeing that? Or is it just because I particularly love your software? <laughs> no, no. I, in fact, that's the, that's the funny thing, right? Like it's it, everybody, everybody follows like the Pareto principle. I, I feel like to a certain degree, right? It's just power laws. If you really think about it. Um, and in fact, you're right. Um, if you actually, uh, someone taught me this principle, I forgot who, but uh, they were like, if you think about the 80, 20 rule, if you actually 80, 20, you're 80, 20, like multiple times, there's probably one, there's probably like 4% of your software that you use like an absurd amount of time, like 60 or 80% of your time or whatever it comes out to, right? Right, <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> and, and there's probably like, for example, um, you know, someone could probably say, okay, if you have a work from home desk, you know, these days you probably are spending like, what, like 60 or 70% of your waking hours and 4% of your house, <laughs> right? Um, but what... I think that, you know, to your point, I think that what uh, we've seen, what I've seen here is kind of a certain sense of dogma towards solving problems, right? And, you know, people trying to simplify everything, which is great. I, I, I think that when you solve a problem, I think that that's great. And then you have to figure out how big is that problem? How are you going to scale that up? Is it a big enough market, right? These are all kind of like the startup sort of, you know, mantras that they talk about. Like, is it a big enough problem to solve? Which I, which I think kind of in a sense kind of sucks because if you think about it, if a problem is a problem to be solved, but it's not big enough, then it's not worthy of your attention. 
that's kind of sad if you think about it, right? You know, and yeah. so I kind of I don't say I want to say that my philosophy flipped it on its head. I kind of made an addendum to the dogma of you you're trying to solve problems with your products, which in a sense everyone is hiring a product to solve uh, to to solve a job or solve a problem of theirs, right? You know, I basically go and purchase a computer so I can do all of my, you know, uh, work uh, in terms of the digital world, connecting with people all over the world. That's what I've hired my computer to do so. And that framework was, uh, I believe, really popularized by Clayton Christensen, um, who wrote about uh, jobs to be done, which I think is one of the most brilliant Mm -hmm. frameworks of uh, of thinking in terms of product development uh, I've ever read. And one of the like one of the things that I thought about in terms of that is a job to be done is is fantastic in terms of a problem being solved. But I also thought, what about if your what about if your tool was able to actually take in meaning and it was actually able to create opportunities through the different meanings that you put through it? And that was kind of my addendum to the thought, which was if you think about some of the most popular tools out there. You can look at Trello for, or, you know, Atlassian tools, Jira, Trello, all of that. Okay. You can use all of that stuff for whatever you want to, right? But they give you technically like this interface to say, okay, this is how you can manage X or, you know, do this with your teams. Uh, for example, YouTube. YouTube is literally just a video interface, right? And you can go on there, you can edit, you can live stream, you can do all this stuff. But it's only as powerful as what you're willing to put into it, right? It's the same thing with Twitter. And I kind of saw this sort of trend that the tools that are solving a problem are are very important tools, right? Like, you know, tools that help with diabetes, tools that help with, you know, obviously chemotherapy. That's a tool for helping out cancer. We need those, right? Um, And those are big, big, you know, problems. But as it pertains sometimes to the software as a service world and technology, you know, sometimes I feel like you can solve a problem, but it can actually become rather limiting because what do you do after that, right? Like the person who solved the problem of no cheating uh, lockdown browser, right? No cheating on tests. Where do, you, where do you go from there, right? Like, are you just going to start creating a suite of software products? Sure, you could, but th- that product is now in and of itself just that, right? So to me, I always thought, if you want to if you want to create something meaningful, you need to allow people to put their own meaning behind it. Whether it's teaching courses, whether it's delivering immersive experiences. So that's why we constructed the tool in such a way where you would actually be able to develop these type of experiences. You would be able to create personalized experiences. You would be able to create something where you can feel like you're there and experiencing the the decisions real time. You know, can do you feel like you're actually in the content? And to me, you can put that into many different situations. Education is one. Uh, the other day, someone asked me if they could use it for DEI training, right? And they were like, I, I want to do it in such a way where someone could experience what it's like as somebody else. And I was like, that's... So what's DEI mean? Uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. So, um, you know, with, with the, the DEI trainings, right? seeing seeing a perspective of someone in in their own eyes and seeing what choices they feel like they have available to them that's really eye opening if you think about Oof. it right that that's like that's changing that's life changing 
right? Um, and so I was, you know, I'm blown away by the creativity that other people have because number one, it makes telling our story a lot more fun because I get to just use the stories from other people and t and tell them to, to others and say, oh, yeah, you can do it like this or you can do it like this. Um, but more importantly, I just love seeing their creativity because to me, that's the type of joy that I want to bring people through a product is if they have the light bulb come on, it, it's almost like teaching someone something for the first time and it like clicks, right? If they start running with it and putting their own meaning behind why the tool is important to them, now I feel like I've delivered value to to another person and hopefully to the greater world around me. And then they can, they, they'll come back into the tool and keep creating. And I think I'm, I can already hear because it's, it's happening in the back of my head and I have tried to get my expert mindset as back, um, you know, and as out of me as possible, but I can hear it, you know, with the technical stuff, with the, you know, tax advances or stuff like that. I think what's missing in a lot of our stuff, whether it be law or even engineering, like engineers, when they go to, if you can take your clients through a journey that's their own, not even on their data or anything, obviously you're still going to give the advice, but the learning of it and the complexities or what they could picture, that ties them right back to the value again as well. And then what I would see the next stage to to just educating and coaching clients for service entities would be then to, and, and professionals, would be then to take them on the journey of their own stuff so they can actually start getting to know their numbers, getting to know their legal requirements and stuff. And then your advice becomes much more powerful. But also if you're, if you're at the top end of this, then you become, you know, the person who actually got people to understand their tax or understand the importance of it. They're never going to go anywhere else. And you're taking them on something that they really understand that's completely connected. We can't do that as professionals because we, we don't stand in their shoes. But if you could get to stand in their shoes and you get your staff to stand in their shoes, like the diversity training, I think that that would change so much, you know, that's going on. So it's also about really taking taking technology now. Like everyone, um, particularly in the expert industries, are saying technology are going, is going to replace what we do. For sure, it's going to replace the processing as it should. But this technology that you're talking about is used as a tool for us to then take our people on a journey that we don't have the capacity to do in mm -hmm. our everyday. Would you agree with that? I would absolutely. Have you seen anyone do it yet? <laughs> well, I, I would absolutely say that that is what we facilitate. And I would also conjecture to say there's actually a few people who, the, for example, uh, my friend is introducing me to this. Uh, they're a law firm. And what's happening with them is there's a lot of questions about the transparency right? The transparency of the interaction. Where are you? What is going on? And, you know, sometimes I think that what happens is it's not that you're thinking that you're not trusting that or someone's not trustworthy. It's that you're not knowledgeable about the process, right? So if you knew yeah. every yes. step of the process where you're like, okay, so this is where we were, and this is actually what should happen next based on your particular scenario, then you actually have a level of transparency to say, this is what I can tangibly expect as the next step of what we're doing. Yes. And I found that to be a really unique use case because as, as you said, it is, it is bringing people through a journey, right? It starts off with, they started as a prospect, right? They're, they're, they're now somebody who's a client and now they need transparency throughout the process to reach the very end. 
And in my personal thoughts about that whole process, I really believe that when you can help someone kind of start from the first part of the journey, wherever you have them, for example, you know, with business professionals or, you know, working in uh, some of these fields where you are an expert, you know, you, you need to bring them from this person who has maybe the beginning of a trust relationship, right? You probably don't actually have very much trust in each other just yet. You know, you don't know what they're going to do. They don't know what you're going to do. But if you can kind of develop a level of transparency and bring them through that journey and they feel like every step is predictable, you know, then they can essentially feel, okay, I can trust this person. And, you know, there was a fantastic book. I think it's not Stephen R. Covey, but it's like his his son, Stephen M. R. Covey, The yeah. Speed of Trust. Yeah. And that- The Speed of Trust, yes. Yeah, it's one of my favorite books. Yeah. And I feel like if you can facilitate an interaction and a journey that can get you closer to that, you know, speed of trust, you can- probably have better relationships. And over time, you know, it's not really always about securing deals. But I think as a as a consequence, you inevitably can actually bring more people in to to trust what you're doing, because you actually have all of these pieces in place. I think that's so important, because you know, one thing, particularly, you know, I've talked about the accounting industry right now, and you know, they still feel that they're the trusted advisor, you know, one of the, the most famous books, written by David Master years ago, like in the early 2000s, was the trusted advisor. And he speaks a lot about what you're saying too, the real trusted. I think a lot of accountants, tax accountants in particular, over in the Commonwealth countries, um, and I know it's a bit like that, this in America as well, is that because everyone comes has to come to you, that makes you trusted, and it's not at all. And the more you can actually open up and say, which is scary for us experts, what is the journey? I think that's definitely what he took uh, in the speed of trust as well. And, yeah, I saw the, the you showed me the law one and it was just fascinating in, that you could even pick, say, oh, I really like what that person said. So you hit that person and then they come down, you can make an appointment and then they can go on their journey. And so you're getting to know them before you've met them. And so that starts the trust. But then it's like, okay, if you're going into a, I can't remember exactly what their examples were, but I'll, I'll use a one, you know, say a family law, you know, thing. This is this is what you should expect. And then there were videos and everything. And, you know, this, this takes process. You know, there's some problems that could happen here or here. And I think you could do that for most expertise. We're not giving you any advice there. We're just showing them what to expect. And I think if you change the expectations of people and you might don't go, I'm the expert, trust me, they think it's really easy and then it's like they won't pay pay the money that you so deserve either so there's a whole lot of stuff there but if you can if they can create their own rather than this one video or somebody someone else saying oh just go within their grade you're building trust with your referrer sorry the person over there you're not building the trust with you and it's actually you that people want to link to it's it's the how you use the software uh, is software the right word? Like, <laughs> software is something that's on your computer, is it? Technology? I, I, <laughs> I think uh, what the working term we've used, which is, you know, kind of like the general term that you, you utilize for a, a tool like this as a platform, right? Yeah. Because it has two sides. You have the viewers and then you have the people making the content. What we've done actually is kind of a strategic sort of hack is we've talked to people who already have built-in audiences, right? 
So instead of having to deal with getting a bunch of viewers on, which, you know, might be consumers, which down the road, you know, when we want to open this up to having people have, you know, their courses be able to be monetized, right? That'll bring more, more viewers in. And then we can go ahead and do a campaign for that. But what we wanted to do was have people with built-in audiences because it just made it so that the tool was very personal to them. It was personal to that group of people they were already working with. They already have, you know, a, a, a tribe of people that, you know, love what they do. And I felt like working with companies or, you know, trainers or coaches who are really trying to develop that sort of experience for a group of people was really what I wanted to help facilitate. And mm -hmm. I felt like, you know, there's a lot of really great things that they're doing. They really care. They want to, you know, build up the people that they're trying to serve. I mean, I met a guy the other day who's trying to influence, he's trying to influence 1 billion lives. Like he's trying to go and touch the lives of 1 billion people. And I just, you know, randomly met him, you know, one day uh, as, uh, you know, through just chatting. And he was a really, you know, great person to chat with. And I honestly thought, you know what, that's an incredibly inspiring thing to aspire to, right? Mm. To want to reach that many people. It's lofty. Everybody talks about the the big, hairy, audacious goals, right? But if you're if you're gonna try to attempt to do, you know, anything in life, then I think it's worthwhile to try and at least stretch what you're doing, right? Um, someone, uh, someone, I guess, said the phrase like, "Be comfortable being uncomfortable," right? Yes. <laughs> and I, and and I think that there's just a lot of wisdom in that, you know, like how how many how much how much do we do that is really loss aversion, right? How much do we do that you know will avoid pain, right? Not telling, for example, right, like. Uh, not having to deliver bad to, to having to deliver bad news to somebody, not having to do a confrontation, be you know because we feel like it's just easier. Maybe it'll blow over, but you know it never does, right? Yeah. We 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 want to avoid those things, but I think that one of the keys to really building yourself up, whether it's you know uh, going out to a place where you don't know anybody going, you know, maybe going out and actually maybe not confronting somebody, but actually having a legitimate conversation to straighten things out. I think that if those things make you feel uncomfortable, you know, don't just run around and, and you know, pick a fight with everybody. <laughs> but like, I think it's, it, it's important to uh, find find ways to kind of inch yourselves towards uh, making yourself a little bit more comfortable with that thing that you were uncomfortable with. Um, and I can give a few examples of my own life. There was a long time where I wasn't just comfortable running around and being able to just talk with anybody that I would like to, right? Like those, that's, you know, that's something that I was, you know, I didn't really know, even know how to have a conversation randomly with somebody that I was talking, you know, standing next to on the street, you know, I just, that always made me feel uncomfortable. But over time, I've, I've just started to realize, you know, like, uh, having a conversation with somebody isn't that scary you know what's the worst that's going to happen they're going to turn around and say hey don't talk to me and like to I've, me. I've never had that happen <laughs> you know yeah. so it was always just I've always looked at it as you know don't like don't jump into a pool if you can't swim but if you at least like take the step and take another step and take another step into the water 
and you can start feeling comfortable with how it feels, then eventually maybe you can start wading into the deeper ends of the pool and now you're actually proficient at what you're doing. I think that's true too. And I'll give you an absolute live example right now is yeah, starting these small sharp videos, um, you know, actually putting together online content for me has been extremely uncomfortable. I've spoken on stage. I do lots of things that people think is terrifying. Um, but the first time I walked on stage, you just start small and, and you, you build up, mind you, you know, a hundred years ago, I thought I'd be standing on stage talking about tax. Um, but now I stand on stage and talk about, you know, how to, be uncomfortable, um, you know, from, from the expert mindset sort of thing. So um, they're all, all the discomfort that you go towards is all changed very, very small steps over time, um, as you said. And you've got to, the more uncomfortable something is, the more you've got to go into it because that's actually where your growth is, which is really unfortunate. <laughs> but, you know, that's it. Mike, thank you so much. What we're going to do is we're going to drop some some of your details and definitely the um, link to um, FreePews. Guys, you're going to see this live when some of our stuff goes live in the next few months. And um, we're so excited to be on at the reasonably ground level. It's not ground level because there's been a whole lot of stuff done before we, we've come along. But we're looking forward to the future of that. And it was a big thing for us because we're not going with some proven stuff either the Kajabis and everything of the world and, and those kind of platforms which are more linear and well more known are definitely safer, I guess, but they're not. I don't think, I think that to be able to create, for people to be able to create their own journey on the learning, particularly on the change learning, um, particularly within businesses, I think is so powerful. And um, I think it then allows a lot of people to get to a lot more people you know, going forward. So I'm, I'm really excited and I'm excited to be on the journey with yourself. So if you had one tip for somebody, I'm quite sure what the line is, but when they're looking at what they should do with technology or if they're starting out, you know, what, what do you think that they should do? Um, I think if you're starting, I think in terms of if you're starting with any technology, it's, you know, starting out for the first time. I'm what you're what you consider to be your classic early adopter. So I just play with everything, right? <laughs> I play with everything yeah, yeah, with like yeah. no no sense of purpose to it sometimes because why not learn everything that I can? Um, it's kind of an exploratory mindset, right? Now, if you need to use technology because your house is on fire, go put your house like you know go put out the house uh, fire because you need to, right? Um, but at the same time, if you are just there to explore a tool and you're trying to really understand what it can do for you, I think that allowing your imagination to kind of run wild with possibilities, you know, kind of similar to how um, when I was a kid, I was working with those Lego sets. I think that allows you to really think more holistically about what the tool can do beyond what you even think its initial functions are, right? And I think that when you look at some, some tools or technology, beyond the scope of what it was meant to be used for. I think it's a really healthy practice because now you're you're thinking about things beyond the scope of, of what they are. And it helps you kind of almost expand your mind into maybe there's actually things beyond the scope of what I think I can do that I'm actually more capable of. So I kind of like to tie it all into the person itself and how they should explore and allowing that to be kind of like this really nice positive feedback loop that'll help them maybe to explore more about themselves. I love that because I certainly am very 
guilty of not exploring software and one, one of the sort of technologies that we use every day, which is Teams, Microsoft Teams, used for so much, so many years and then never really explored it. Then I started exploring it and it's like, oh, it's got all of this stuff in. We can go over there and get rid of that stuff and oh, this is more, and, and you know, it's fascinating right. then to go on a bit of an adventure, even with something that we use all the time. And it's a fascinating journey. And the fact that it's also like your software, it, it actually grows and they're adding things all the time and um, love them or hate or Microsoft is in most people's lives. So really, you know, that's somewhere you could start, you know, start by practicing on um, something you've already got and, and you haven't really thought about how to use it. Thank you so much, Mike. It's been an absolute pleasure. And um, yeah, thanks for being here. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast and always love chatting. So, uh, you know, anytime I can come back and, you know, talk tech, talk, uh, you know, t uh, tech, life, anything of the sort, more than happy to do so. <laughs> and as a usual, everyone else, please continue the conversation and be brave. Thank you so much for your time. We work super hard on this podcast and are passionate about helping expert entrepreneurs build businesses without overwhelm. To help us, can you please leave a review if you loved it on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast 